Back home, Taoiseach and Fine Gael leader Leo Varadkar is here as part of our annual series of interviews with party leaders. Taoiseach, you're very welcome to this week. Good afternoon. Um, you spent some of this week in Brussels where immigration was very much a focus and you called for EU borders to be secured. How? Well, just at the outset, I'm, I'm very struck by that report there from Turkey and um, I think we're all... Uh, horrified at the human loss of life and suffering that we're seeing from Turkey and also from Syria, which um, is even harder uh, to get into uh, and harder for the rescue workers to do what they need to do as well. Uh, and certainly, you know, the government's solidarity is with the people of Turkey and Syria. We're providing financial assistance through uh, the Red Cross and Red Crescent and also through the UN and we'll be um, discussing during the week what more we can do uh, to assist uh, those countries that really need our help at this very difficult time. And that call, as I said, that you made, along mm. with other leaders in the EU, for borders to be secured mm. in the EU, how will you do that? Yes, so we had a special summit in Brussels this week um, talking about Ukraine, but also uh, talking about the issue of migration and um, Ireland, like every other country in the European Union, is seeing an increase in um, migration um, some of that, of course, is linked to linked to Ukraine, and uh, we're very um, happy at what we've been doing uh, and want to do more to help people from Ukraine who need shelter. Um, but also, there's been an increase in um, what's described as uh, irregular migration, um, to use to use to use the, the, the European term. And um, we were discussing uh, how we can work together as a as a European Union, one to strengthen the external borders of the European Union, and two to also focus on returns because uh, there are a, a number of countries that we're running into difficulties with that won't take their own uh, nationals back uh, when their applications for protection have been refused, and that's that's not right, and that's not fair. Countries should take their own citizens back. Yes, you also said your government will be firm, uh, fair, firm, and hard on immigration on mm. people coming here looking for asylum. How will you be hard on asylum seekers? Well, just to be clear, the reference to being hard was was not a reference to migration or migrants. It was a reference to human trafficking. Um, And uh, we do need to be hard on those criminal gangs, essentially, that are involved in trafficking people into into the European Union and into Ireland. These are the people who create the fake IDs and tell migrants to destroy them so they can't get get caught. Is one of the reasons why, why people are told to destroy the documents because they are fake in, in some cases. Um, and these are people who put people in, in rafts um, in the Mediterranean, in the Aegean, hoping they'll be picked up and not really caring if they die. And these are people who um, tell vulnerable people all around the world that the streets of Europe are paved with gold and take their money uh, to bring them to Europe and we are uh, as a country and as a European Union um, going to have to be harder on, on, on trafficking we will be in relation to migration in general uh, what I've said is that we need a policy that is both fair and firm uh, fair firm to how? Well, let's let's talk about the fair first, because um, that's the most important thing. We need to be fair to people who uh, need our protection, uh, and we're not going to turn anyone anyone away. Um, we've accepted tens of thousands of people in the last year and provided them with shelter and accommodation, education for their kids, healthcare opportunity opportunities to work and I'm very proud of what we've done as a country in that regard and we also need to have legal pathways to migration as well and Ireland is a country that you can come to as an economic migrant from outside the European Union we issued 40,000 work permits last year uh, you know so we do have legal pathways to migration um, but we do need to be firm I believe with people whose um, applications are rejected I would need to say to people that if you're going to come to Ireland um, with a false story um, or, on, or on false pretenses um, we will try to prevent you from entering in the first place and after that uh, we will make sure that your application is dealt with quickly um, 
due process is always required, of course it is, but we would aim to have applications dealt with in less than 12 weeks. Um, and also uh, if deportation orders are issued and over 700 deportation orders have been issued, issued in the past few months. Those orders have been issued, but how many people have been deported? Uh, we, we actually don't know for certain because most people self-deport. Uh, once the um, deportation order is issued, um, they go off the system. Uh, in many cases, they've gone back to their country of origin. In other, area, in other cases, they've gone to another country country or have disappeared from the system, the number of deportation orders that are actually affected uh, is quite small uh, and often that is down to the fact that we have difficulty um, getting countries to accept their own nationals back and that's a big problem. Are you aiming to increase that? We're not setting any particular target and we're not going to do that. Um, They did that in the UK and I think it has. Are you aiming to do it quicker? Uh, What we're saying is that um, we want applications to be assessed in six or 12 weeks um, uh, where possible and where deportation orders are issued, um, we, we want them to be affected. You know, I, I think I think people in Ireland um, understand that migration has been a good thing for our country and I believe it's been a good thing for our country. Um, but they also want to know that migration is going to be properly managed, that there are controls and, and I want to give people that reassurance that there is. But I also want to say this because, you know, you can be very easily, it's very, it's very difficult or it's a sensitive issue to talk about and I know people uh, need to be careful in their language in relation to it and I do want to say and I want to say this very clearly that migration is something that I think is a good thing for our country it strengthens our economy if you go into um, the pharma companies or the big tech companies in our cities you'll see a very diverse workforce a lot of those companies aren't just here um, because we have a good tax system they're here because we are open to talent from all over the world Um, if you look at our public services, our health service, for example, wouldn't function uh, without people coming from overseas. Uh, and also it enriches our culture. So the approach that we're taking is one um, that says that migration is something that is good, um, that refugees are welcome in Ireland. Okay. Um, but it does need to be managed properly and there do need to be controls. And oh. I want to reassure people that that is the case. Over 70,000 refugee and asylum seekers came to Ireland last year and, and the department responsible estimates that another seventy to 80,000 could come this year. And already some of those coming are staying in tents or on the streets. Can Ireland cope with another 80,000 people this year? Well, I don't think it'll be that many. Um, You know, if you look at the the numbers coming in now on a weekly basis, I think the initial numbers coming in this year will probably be closer to 30 or 40,000. Okay, but even with that number, where are they going to stay? It's going to be very difficult and we're going to do the best we can to provide people with uh, shelter, with appropriate accommodation, with uh, heat and light, education for their kids. We've provided places and schools for 14,000 children already. Um, over 10,000 Ukrainians are now uh, working in Ireland. Um, and, you know, I, I think when we look back on the past year um, in the future, uh, I think we'll be proud as a country as to what we've managed to do. You know, of all the countries in Western Europe, uh, we've taken more Ukrainians per head than any other country in Western Europe. Uh, and, and by and large, we've been able to provide people with the protection uh, that they need. In terms of finding additional accommodation, uh, we're pulling out all the stops. Uh, there's an accommodation working group that is um, uh, led by my department, by the Department of the Taoiseach. It's identifying buildings, it's renovating them, yes. it's trying to find all forms of accommodation. And, and, that and on that, as Tommy Meskel, our political reporter, was reporting earlier, why is no government department come forward to Minister Roger Gorman's office with offers of possible accommodation for refugees, given his Mm. urgent call over a week ago? 
Well, I, there have been a number of calls for accommodation and government departments yes. have responded to that. So, None you know, to this one. Uh, but that was only, only a week ago. In fairness to government departments, they have responded. So, you know, the Department of Justice has offered Thornton Hall, for example. Um, the Department of Higher Education is offering student accommodation during the summer period. We know the HSC has offered a number of buildings that we're examining now. Um, my former government department, Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment, has offered one of the office buildings that we no longer need because people are um, hybrid working and working from home now. So there when, will they, when will they be available? Um, this is an urgent yeah, call. Th- th- they will be available, but it, it, it depends on the circumstances. So some will be available within weeks, others will take months. Um, a lot of these buildings are not in good condition. Um, they do need to be refurbished, uh, and that can take time. Particularly an old building can take almost as long to refurbish as it does to build. We'll have the modular housing, for example. Uh, well, when will modular, modular housing be available? The target date was moved from, I think it was last autumn, yeah. to, 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 or to now March. So the first few will be available for habitation within, within, within weeks uh, over the March April period and we'd hope to have um, about five to 700 in this year. And we believe that's something that could be scaled up to as many as 4,000 a year. Even before the recent in- increase in immigration, the number of people in emergency accommodation was above 10,000 mm-hmm. and rising, over 11,000. Now, you told the Dáil last month that the housing crisis is holding Ireland back as a country, economy and society. Your party have been in government now for 12 years. How much responsibility do you, do you take for that? As a government, we're responsible for uh, dealing with all of the problems that the country faces and that involves the housing crisis and it involves uh, making sure that this year, 2023, is the year where I want us to turn the corner uh, on the housing crisis. I want us to see um, homelessness, for example, falling again, had been falling for a while, has been rising again for uh, a number of months. Um, But we are making some real progress. You know, I don't want to bamboozle your, your, your listeners with statistics, but Oh, almost 30,000 new homes were built last year, um, not many, including student accommodation. How many of those 30,000 homes were affordable, for example, under €250,000? Well, look, that, that, dep- that depends. Um, probably not that many. I don't know the, the, the exact figure. But bear in mind, some of, those, some of that housing was social housing. Um, Did you miss your target on social housing? Uh, we missed it slightly. Um, you you but, revised but again, it down from 9,000 to 8,000 and came in at 6,500, isn't that right? Well, we, no, we don't do the exact figures yet. I, I think the final figure for uh, the number of new builds social housing will be close to 8,000. And bear in mind, that'll be the highest since 1975. So, you know, it is important to, to say that. We're building more new homes last year than any year since the Celtic Tiger, more social housing than any year since 1975, and more first-time buyers bought their first home last year than any year in 15. So that is real progress. I accept it's not enough. I accept that we need to accelerate uh, supply and we need to do more to help people buy their first home. Homeownership is a particular priority for me and for government. Uh, And we have uh, a lot of um, schemes now in place. Just in the last uh, couple of weeks, for example, um, we changed the rules around the uh, local authority home loan uh, so that you know, people can uh, get a loan from their local authority. They can't get one from a bank. And one that, one change that we made that we made that I think was very important uh, was for single people now. Single people earning up to seventy thousand uh, a year can now qualify for that um, for that loan. And that's really important because a lot of single people, in particular, are finding it difficult to become homeowners. Many of those people who will be added to the emergency accommodation list are those in rental accommodation. Will you extend the ban on evictions, which is due to run out at the end of March? Um, we haven't made a decision on that. Um, it was brought in a number of months ago and at the time uh, our hope was that uh, by bringing in that partial eviction ban that we'd see homeless numbers falling as they did during the pandemic. Unfortunately, that hasn't been the case. They've continued to rise, albeit at a slower rate. And we'll have to make a judgment call um, over the next few weeks as to whether... What's your sense now? Do you, would you like to see it extended? 
Um, it's a decision that hasn't been made by government. It has to be discussed by government. It's not for, for me to make unilaterally. There are, are upsides and downsides. Um, I, I, the positive, obviously, is that uh, it would see fewer people um, losing their home, being evicted into homelessness. On the other hand, um, we are seeing landlords leaving the market in very big numbers. That's a problem too. And we are running into an issue. Uh, it might be small numbers, but it's not irrelevant of people who can't move back into their own home. Uh, you know, people who've been away, we'll say in Australia or Dubai for a year, coming home and can't move back into their own house. And that's a difficulty. And I think um, that that could be a difficulty down the line as well, that people may decide rather than renting out a property to pay the vacant property tax rather than risk not being able to move back into their own home. So we have to look at these things in the round. Like the eviction ban, many of the budget measures to help people cope with the increasing cost of living uh, because of inflation will come to an end soon. Um, with children's charities, Bernard was reporting this week that uh, one in ten parents used a food bank last year and one in seven were regularly unable to provide a main meal for their family. Are you going to extend those credits and those measures beyond the end of March? Well, the cost of living is is still rising. Um, we are seeing inflation slow down, uh, and that's very welcome. Um, but there's a big difference between inflation slowing down and prices falling, and prices aren't falling. They're no, still continuing to rise. No, food rising is 16%. Yes. And that's having uh, a very severe, severe impact on a lot of families, a lot of households, a lot of businesses as well are facing very high, high energy costs. Uh, so we understand that um, we need to help people some more uh, over the spring period. We can't afford to do so because the economy is strong. The public finances have been well managed, and that's why we are in a position to help people and we'll sit down as a government this week and make a decision on which of those supports we can extend into the spring. Let's look at one of those supports which is the energy credit and Mm. the last one due in March. Our reporter Sharon Lynch went out and spoke to people uh, near your own constituency in uh, in Blanchardstown yesterday. Here's what they had to say. I think we could do it one more to be honest with you. You know the weather is supposed to get cold again so we could, we could do with any help we could get, you know. I've just got a bill for a normal house now, 756 for gas, you know. And it didn't seem as if we had it on all the time, you know. Oh, yes, yes, big help, yeah, because my wife is incapacitated. The final one is due next month. Is it? So would you like to see another one coming after that, or would you prefer to wait maybe till next winter? Oh, no, I'd like to see another one coming because she needs the heat, actually. Uh, it's very uh, beneficial and uh, long may it last. Well, I think after March would be probably beneficial in the sense that uh, you'd still have heating on uh, up to about May. Well, we do, uh, as an older couple. Uh, Like my last bill was 903, I think. Uh, Now, that was a combination bill, gas and electricity. Uh, But uh, it's quite, uh, quite expensive. I'd like to see one more, because the cold weather will continue. Definitely next winter, I think. Yeah. Why is that? It's just, uh, hopefully, even ourselves now, we're going to try, we pay like, uh, you know, the pay to go. So uh, during the summer months, you wouldn't have the heating on as much. So we're just going to try and put money off in the summer months and a bit and it builds up like, you know. People in Blanchardstown with our reporter Sharon Lynch yesterday, Taoiseach Leo Varadkar still in our studio. Minister Eamon Ryan said on this programme recently he didn't want to see, a, or he didn't want a cliff edge rather uh, to the current cost of living support. Is it possible we could see a gradual reduction in some support? Say, for example, a 100 euro energy credit as opposed to the full 200? Well, there definitely won't be a cliff edge. Uh, I can assure people of that. There will be further help in the spring um, to help with the cost of living and then a further package um, on budget date to help uh, with. The winter uh, costs, which which are which are going to remain elevated, we haven't decided on any of the details of it yet. Um, Could it there include is one welfare more, bonuses, for example? 
well, there is one more energy credit due, as you know, for the March bill. Um, we haven't decided whether there'll be one after that. Um, the advantage of the energy credit is that it's universal and everyone benefits uh, to some extent. The difficulty with it is that it's not targeted. And I do believe we will need some additional targeted welfare measures. Um, so targeted and universal measures, yes. Uh, I, I, I believe that you need an element of both universal measures to help everyone but those who are suffering the most uh, are those who need the most help and one of the things we will make a judgment call on um, this week um, uh, is some additional welfare payments we haven't decided the nature of those exactly who will get them who won't and how much but we do believe that pensioners and uh, people in receipt of social welfare payments um, they're that, the ones who really struggle child the child benefit? Again, not decided. Um, Mr Humphreys is working on that package now and wouldn't be helpful for me to start flying kites now when we haven't made that decision. But what I can say is that there will be uh, a social welfare um, and pensions element uh, to the uh, cost of living package for the spring. And that's because people on pensions and people who are in receipt of social welfare payments, they're the ones who are really struggling the most with the high cost of living and we have to help them. And what about the current cuts in VAT, for example, VAT for the hospitality industry? Are you inclined to extend that? Uh, again, not decided yet. I appreciate you have you to ask the question. Uh, we'll make those decisions over the course of the next week. Um, but again, uh, the Minister of Finance, Minister of Public Expenditure, Minister of Social Welfare uh, are working on the package. We'll, they'll be meeting with the three coalition leaders during the week and uh, we'll decide on that and people will know where they stand long before the end of the month. We've been learning more about what approach uh, the state takes when challenged by people, often of very little means for redress in recent weeks. People on medical cards who needed nursing home care and had to pay for it because the state couldn't provide it and people whose disability payments were cut uh, when they were taken into institutions. This all happening, uh, I accept, over nearly 20 years ago. The Attorney General has said that the legal advice was sound. Why not test that advice? Get the courts to decide who's right here. Well, I think it may well be tested. Um, As you'll know, uh, quite a number of cases were settled, um, but hundreds haven't been. uh, And I think it is very possible that we will see a test case in the courts. Uh, Bear in mind, when a case is settled, it's settled because both sides agree to settle it. It's essentially uh, a compromise. Um, It's not that anyone was forced to settle their case, um, but I think it's now very possible uh, that we will see one of these cases uh, tested in the courts and um, the government will be sticking to its position and our position is a very clear one. Uh, It it is that, um, just as is the case now, sometimes people who have medical cards um, pay privately uh, or, or have to or feel forced uh, to uh, go privately, but the government doesn't reimburse that. We only do it if it's done by prior arrangement. So through the NTPF at the moment, for example, through the cross-border directive, it's not the case that we would ever um, pay uh, without some sort of prior arrangement or prior agreement. Yes, but if people weren't entitled to subsidised care at the time when it wasn't publicly available, why did the state settle with them? Why didn't they just test the legality of their claims in court? Um, The reason for that was essentially um, that a view was taken uh, at the time that uh, rather than risk an adverse outcome, no matter how unlikely that might be, that it was better to settle because there would have been a potentially very high cost uh, to the taxpayer. And, you know, it is important, I think, to uh, bear in mind that governments always have to ask, uh, operate in the public interest and in doing so you have to weigh up a number of factors. One is the justice of any claim being brought against you, but also there is 
the needs of the taxpayer yes. and the needs of people who are using public services now. And the needs of, of those citizens at the time. I mean, in 2005, the then Chief Justice John Murray said that the people affected in these cases are those who, quote, necessarily belong to the most vulnerable sectors of society. He said they are, for the most part, old or very old, mentally or physically disabled, very largely in poor financial circumstances. They are most unlikely to have been aware of the provisions of the Health Acts or their rights to services on the terms on which they are provided. Is it not ethical to compensate them now? Well, bear in mind, I think you're referring to a Supreme Court judgment from 2005 yes. that there was a compensation scheme put in place and nearly 500 million was paid out at the time in compensation to people who were in uh, public nursing homes. Um, my view is what you have to do is to strike an appropriate balance between uh, putting wrong, putting right the wrongs of the past and dealing with the needs of today and investing in the future. And, you know, certainly when it comes to uh, helping older people today, I would like our priority to be a statutory home care scheme for people who are old today and need home care today and for us when we get older so that we'll know that there is a, a home care scheme for us. For people with disabilities, what I'd like us to focus on, for example, um, is um, the move towards the cost of, of, of disability payment when it comes to children who are vulnerable today, uh, I want to focus on child poverty and that's one of my uh, key aims as Taoiseach is to bring child poverty down. Uh, I would, you know, any government has limited uh, financial, human and legislative resources and time and I would like the focus to be on those people who need our help today, people who are disabled, who are old, who are children suffering poverty, um, not compensating people for things that happened 15 to 40 years ago and in many cases it would be their relatives, not, not them at all that would benefit. You mentioned a focus on child poverty, I mean during your party's time in government there have been increases in child poverty, in child homelessness, in paediatric waiting lists, in children on hospital trolleys, many children waiting for the education, educational, physical and mental health supports that they need. So why should they and their families have confidence in this new move to combat child poverty? Well, I, I think in fairness, um, at least up until the cost of living crisis, we had seen child poverty falling uh, for a number of years. You know, tens of thousands of children uh, have been lifted out of poverty um, by this government and the previous government. Um, and I want to make sure that we do everything we can to uh, eliminate child poverty. Um, I, I'd like us to be you know, in the top five countries uh, in Europe in terms of child poverty, in, ter in terms of getting it down. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we're doing at the moment, for example, you know, extending the number of DESH schools, reducing the cost of childcare, uh, expanding the school meals programme, which has been very beneficial for children, giving them a hot meal. Um, and I want to build on that because I think if we give children the best start in life, uh, that'll make society better for everyone. On the uh, the use of the Office of the Attorney General in relation to the, uh, the report this week, your government has been accused by the opposition of using the Office of the AG in a political manner, that it's unprecedented to do so. Why did you do that? Well, I think that criticism is, is unfair, quite frankly. Um, the Attorney General was asked to do a report on the legal position uh, and on the legal strategy pursued by government, and he did exactly that. Um, you, you know, it was that is the, the role, role of the Attorney General, is to, is to give the government legal advice and to explain that legal advice. And one thing he points out in the report, which I think is very fair, uh, is that everyone has a legal strategy. Uh, somebody taking a case against the state has a legal strategy. The state has to have a legal strategy as well. There's nothing sinister about that, um, that that's the way our, our legal system works. And he put, points that out, I think, very clearly in the report. Also points out um, why legal privilege is important uh, and also points out that um, the only interest that the state has is the public interest. Your party's going to be facing into the next uh, general election after coalition with Fianna Fáil and a previous government propped up by Fianna Fáil. What's the difference now between your party and Fianna Fáil? 
Well, we're, we're different parties, uh, different people, different traditions and um, uh, different policies in some areas as well. Um, but I think it's fair to say that we've worked very closely together. Um, what would you define as the difference between you? I think that there 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 be differences, for example, around European policy. Like what? Like, for example, Fine Gael, I think, is, is probably a more integrationist in European terms than Fianna Fáil would be. We're more enthusiastic, I, I would say, about cooperation when it comes to defence and security, for example. Um, I think, as a party, we've a huge emphasis on um, supporting business. On more than Fianna Fáil? Uh, I, I think the I'm two just trying to work yeah. out what the differences between your two parties I, are, because people voting yeah. will be trying to decide between you. Um, well, they will when the next election comes, but that's a long way away now. And, you know, I, I don't want to spend this interview talking about the differences between Fianna Fáil and, and Fine Gael okay. or the Greens. What, what we are doing is working together and uh, dealing with the problems that people face, whether it's the cost of living crisis, whether it's housing, whether okay. it's um, uh, law and order, supporting rural Ireland, okay. increasing farm incomes, all the things that we want do, to do Do together. you favour an election next autumn? Um, I... I have made no decision on the on the date of the election. Uh, it is, of course, the prerogative of the Taoiseach to uh, seek a dissolution at all. Um, not plan to do that anytime soon, I can guarantee you. Uh, the focus is very much on governing and governing well and keeping the government working. Not far off St. Patrick's Day now, presumably you'll visit the White House. Would you like to see President Joe Biden visit Ireland for the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement in April? Well, I'd love to see him visit Ireland. Um, obviously, the president's diary is extremely busy and uh, I think any time um, that he's available to come, we'd be very happy to welcome him. Leo Varadkar, and Fine Gael leader, thank you very much for joining us on this week. Thank After you. the break, a yawning gap in the sentencing of minors, Pater Tobin and Ukraine.